0: I'm WFE's David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got re-elected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season? Bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the City Council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. It's episode 99.5 of R&D in the QC, and today we talk the budget, RNC, COVID recovery task forces, and so much more. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's me, it's the sidekick. How you doing, bud? Oh,
1: I'm a sidekick, but still doing fine.
0: What happened? What? You sound like you're inside a, a, the a back of a minivan trunk right now. What's going on? Your, your vocal, your voice was fine a minute ago.
1: You are really? Oh,
0: you're back. You're better.
1: All right, good. Um, I thought maybe, maybe it's the rain. I think so. Hurricane, what is this? Hurricane Bertha? Brenda? Bertha? Matt, I What's think. the What's the hurricane bearing down on us right now? Bertha. Oh, I thought it was Matt. Uh, welcome to episode ninety nine point five. We have never done a 0.5 episode, but
0: that's strange. Yeah,
1: we we talked about um, other than maybe our uh, holiday tree uh, interlude special,
0: <laughs> the good old days.
1: <laughs> bring that back uh, this yeah. this winter. But yeah. um, we talked about before we episode one hundred coming up, and we have started putting the pieces together for what we think is going to be a special one hundredth episode. And we felt like we needed to save the, the title of episode 100 for this uh, R&D palooza that we're putting together, which we'll start recording next week. Uh, we'll see when we get it all put
0: we together. We really just like, aside from a lot going on, decided this last month, episode 100 was too important for us to yeah. just have. Uh, which without, is why it's
1: uh, been a month since we recorded something.
0: It does not feel like it, even cl- uh, remotely. It feels like it was like a week ago.
1: Not quite a month, but nearly a month. It was April 30th that we recorded. Um, a lot has happened since then. How many um, people have you yelled at, would you say? Does it, Does it count point. if you if you have like a snarky tone in an email? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In lots. um. In fact, I wrote a a guy back the other day who was complaining about the shared streets program, which is a cool thing. Actually, we've rolled out probably since last episode, where three one mile stretches of road in my district, Uh, lightly traveled neighborhood roads, are closed to through traffic, still open to local traffic, um, but to help with pedestrian and uh, and people walking, people biking, whatever. And this guy emails me and asks if he's going to get a portion of his taxes back since we have shut off streets. Two cars. It's a valid said, question, mean, Larkin. I said you mean the three one mile stretches that are still open to local traffic, only closed to through traffic in a city with hundreds of miles of road. That was all my snarky part. And then I wrote, Do you want me to mail you a nickel?
0: You I'm gonna tell you, I've watched you closely these last two months. You have upped your game, particularly on social media and your either bandwidth or willingness to interact with people. It's been impressive. It's been impressive, Larkin.
1: For for better and worse. Yes,
0: agreed. Agreed. Um,
1: so a couple of big announcements that have happened. Obviously, there's there's only so much news coming out that's anything but coronavirus related. And we'll get a little bit into what the city's been working on coronavirus wise. Which by the later. way, as you're
0: teeing all that up, for all of the thousands of people who are with us live right now, similar to a Joe Rogan type setup, um, encourage you to post uh, questions uh, that you might like us to address. Anything that you've seen over the last month of craziness, we've got an agenda item uh, set coming at you right now, but anything you want to know, pile them up folks. And we will address them. We do not run from the truth in episode 99.5 of R and D in the QC.
1: So a couple of good news things that have come out since our last episode, Uh, two of our, Amazing higher learning institutions have named new leaders. Mm. Uh, we've got Dr. Sharon Gaber, who is coming to us from, uh, from the University of Toledo. She's going to be the new chancellor at UNC Charlotte. And uh, our friend Cheryl Richards is named the new campus president of Johnson & Wales Charlotte. Uh, you actually had her on your Carolina FinTech Hub podcast last week. I got to come on and be a guest for Special that. Guest. I think that, that went really well, by the way. It did. Uh, I'm, one of my two alma maters is Johnson of Wales, and uh, you and I both know Dr. Richards um, from her time at Northeastern Charlotte. And so we are excited about her opportunity to lead Johnson of Wales. We had fun with her playing a little quiz show. If anybody wants to go on your YouTube channel and find the Carolina FinTech Hub podcast from last week with her, Jay that was woo. a lot of fun. I think she's going to be a great leader. Haven't had a chance to meet Dr. Gaber yet, but looking forward to it and have heard only good things. Uh, and we announced in your district, I, I presume, that Quail Hollow will host the PGA Championship again in 2025. You're welcome. Yes, you're welcome. And the city had a little bit of a role to play in that. We're going to work with the club down there to do some uh, infrastructure improvements around access for buses and rideshare and things like that to make sure that it's easier for people to get in and out. Uh, if you've ever been down there for even the Wells Fargo tournament, much less one of the um, even greater, larger tournaments, it, it can be difficult. So uh, some some improvements being made down there, but that's exciting. Something to look forward to. Uh, there hadn't been a whole lot of other news other than that. I mean, you know, sports still not back, although we did just have the NASCAR race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, kudos to our friend Marcus Smith and the whole team out there. Uh, without fans, but they still had races. And actually, I think they're still going on probably not in this rain, but they've been going on for a couple of days. Um, and I was actually cheering for Kyle Bush. First time I've ever cheered for a Bush brother in a NASCAR race. He was running the App State Toyota. App State sponsored a car to uh, give well wishes to their 2020 graduates. Joe Gibbs, who owns the team, his grandson goes to Appalachian State. And so had to cheer for the App State car, and he put it in victory lane. He won the race. So,
0: question. I don't, didn't follow all the ramifications of cheering for a Bush brother and what that means and everything. But uh, with that aside. It's two NASCAR brothers I don't like. Sounds right. Sounds fine. Um, did App State use the uh, extra money from disbanding all their collegiate sports <laughs> uh, to pay for this car, or how did this all work? <laughs> you didn't think I read that? Uh, that oh, um Oh,
1: App State, as well as ECU, and, and I'm sure some other schools are coming, have have cut some of their sports, which is unfortunate. Um, I was actually particularly disappointed to see App State cut men's soccer because I feel like with the momentum we've got around soccer, with MLS coming to Charlotte, uh, creating more of a pipeline for talent in our state is important as that sport grows. So that was that was disappointing. I mean, you know, with college football coming up, college football is the thing that, pays for a lot of these other sports and if um if the football season's not able to to go off as normal it's going to put a, a crunch on a lot of athletic department put a lot I think of was, on the women's the, volleyball team there was a, a there was a lot of pre- or uh probably a sweetheart deal for for joe gibbs considering his connection with his grandsons on the app state deal but yeah, yeah. um so those were some good news announcements um a personal good news announcement that will transition into one of the bigger topics, particularly of the last week, uh, is that uh, time still all running together. I'm gonna to say one to two weeks ago, uh, I was elected as a delegate for Joe Biden to the National Convention, which will theoretically be held in Milwaukee. Lord only knows how this will actually play out. Um, and along those same lines, there has been some discussion about the RNC, which is theoretically going to be held in Charlotte the week after, the DNC. but there at the been end of talk August.
0: about that? I haven't. I didn't hear
1: anything. Yeah, a little bit. Um, the president got on Twitter one morning and started tweeting at our governor, and it's all still playing out right now. So I don't know how much we want to talk about that, but I mean, I think that was thirty six
0: hours ago. Just if you want to frame of reference, it feels yeah. like, it feels like a month ago.
1: The I think almost to a person, everyone has said no one's. Ruling out the possibility that there can be an in-person convention, I think also to a person we've all said, if there's going to be an in-person convention, there have to be health protocols and procedures and safeguards put in place to make sure that not only the people of Charlotte are protected, but the people who come into Charlotte for the convention and then go back to wherever they hail from. So, I think you'd agree with that. I, you know, he's saying he wants the capacity, uh, the arena filled to capacity in August, and he wants that guarantee now in May not realistic. Um, so, you know, this will work itself out. The city has a minimal role in this for now. Uh, it's really something that is being worked out more between Washington and, and the state government here in Raleigh than Charlotte. Although obviously everybody wants our take on it.
0: Oh, well I'll provide my take then Larkin uh, with that tee up. Thank you. And we've all heard your take on CNN as you're now a national celebrity. Twi- twice. 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 That's right. So yeah. i listen. We get it. I mean, you leave like the Charlotte Agenda, the Observer, uh, WSOC to folks like me, and then you've stepped up to the big leagues.
1: But I still um, make time for R and D in the QC.
0: Well, it took a month to get you back here, so that's great. Um, look, I I, I I view this pretty simply, and I'll say this with a grain of salt because anyone who leads this conversation with saying this isn't partisan, this isn't politics, it no, I don't care what side you're on, politics is involved in it because it's such a complicated issue. So what I'll say is on one side of this coin, exactly to your point, there's no one in this world right now that can get a guarantee of what everything is gonna be like three months from now uh, and, and know for certain what's safe or isn't safe and what can be allowed. It's just impossible for anyone to do. So I, I, will, I will take one side of the coin and absolutely say that. But with that side of the coin, I think you have to recognize a couple of things. This is, the data is, is, is very different than what, what the models told us two months ago when we started this, right? When we think about the fact that Mecklenburg County has 1.1 million people in it, roughly, give or take right now. have tested positive for the virus. And of that, and it's tragic, but you have to understand 73 deaths, that's the mortality rate within those that have tested. So almost all of them have been over the age of 50. They've had severe underlying health issues or they've been from congregate living facilities like, like retirement homes. So, I mean, that is terrible and I'm not trying to minimize that whatsoever, but I am trying to say we've been doing this for two months now. Three months ago in the rear view window, we were, we were meeting in the government center and this wasn't at all the world we know today. So to imagine that we know with, with surety that something can happen three months from now or that it can't happen, three months from now, is, is a ridiculous statement. So there's one side of the coin. The stats, if they keep going where, where, where we're viewing them, it's very good. It's very positive in relation to how bad it could have been that the model said. The other side of that coin, though, in, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say I love President Trump's tweets all the time or that his framing of this was completely fair and, and relevant, but I will say I've been knee-deep with small businesses for the last two months working on the, the task force stuff, things we'll talk about in a second. And right now, President Trump, if you weed through kind of some of the things he said, is is asking for exactly the same thing that these small businesses, I, many of you as well, have been pleading for from the governor, from the state, from the county for two months, which is we understand maybe we can't open, but give us a little bit of transparency. Help us understand, like, is it, is it, is it that, you're going to look at this stat on cases and testing and then mortality in June, July, and then August. And you're going to, if you see this go this route or see this go this route, Um, you know, give us an indication because so far it's kind of been a bit of a black box where you come out with, 24 to 48 hours head start notice and say, well, it's restaurants, but not bars. It's breweries that serve pretzels, but those that don't can't open. There's, a, there's an element of inconsistency. And all I'm saying is that anyone spending over $100 million on any event, this one or the other 19 that are scheduled that Charlotte's hospitality and tourism uh, community needs, I'm, I'm just gonna say like, that's the kind of transparency, consistency, proactivity that I think anyone would expect. And if we can get through this, And achieve that, I think that will be a win.
1: I think they've given some broad stroke ideas of of what they're basing their decisions on. I do think to your point, there can be more detail in those in terms of what, what do those numbers specifically need to look like? You know, they talked about testing, talked about tracing, talked about trends. Um, I do think they can give more more insight. And I think, you know, one of the frustrations, um, my boss is on here, he actually weighed in and said, you know, our, our bars and taverns need help. And there was some confusion last week around to you mentioned the breweries uh, which they ended up kind of letting those fit into the criteria I guess it bears mentioning we are now into phase two of the reopening process and so restaurants are able to open they're able to open with limited um, indoor well limited capacity based on their um, whatever their capacity rating is and and I will step aside here to mention a program that I'm really proud of that you and I got to to have a hand in which is that the city is actually easing some of the restrictions around things like parking and and where people with no fee can apply to utilize parts of their parking uh, that they're required to create more outdoor seating. Because obviously we know it's safer for people to be outdoors than indoors. Um, And because people are limited on how many folks they can have indoors, we wanted to, uh, it was something that was brought to us by our friend, Anthony who runs 204 North and a couple other spots in town. Um, You and I flew it up the flagpole staff Turn it around remarkably quick and put out uh, information about how people can apply for this and, and how they can utilize it to make sure that they've got more seating, more outdoor seating. Still making sure that we're being safe, but also making sure that our businesses have an opportunity to start to recoup some of those losses. So, back we, to your original well, point, I think. before
0: well, you say that, let, let me just tack on to that question. We need more of that. If Anthony hadn't come to you and I, if we hadn't Joined forces and brought Michael Smith from Center City Partners and their staff joined city staff and Taiwo and then the city manager and everyone came together and made that happen. Like that, right? We would just be sitting around doing business as usual. We've got other easy lower hanging fruit. Representative Sane is on here. If you don't know Representative Jason Sane, he's a friend of the show, friend of both of us, and he's highly influential. In Never heard of the guy. Never heard of him. The question there is, can we do more creative things like? There's all kinds of taboos and everything, but we've talked a lot about a lot of our bars who are deeply struggling right now would love the ability in these custom cocktail kits and things they're, they're delivering. Not handing people drinks to drive home with, but handing them custom things to go make. They're sealed. sealed? Make yeah. Put sealed uh, liquor in there as well not just for long-term, because that's a good productive way of of being able to reduce barriers, but right now that could make the difference between someone surviving and not. So I, I, I would just say that's a brilliant story that literally a dozen of us all worked with Anthony and then with staff to make happen on parking and utilizing creative ways to find space and get around these capacity
1: limitations. Let's keep doing that. Yeah. And we didn't invent the wheel there nor do we ever need to invent the wheel in most cases uh there were versions of this done in other places around the country uh and and it's especially right now is the perfect time for us to be reading everything we can looking up everything we can finding good ideas elsewhere and making them work for charlotte so i agree there um you know the the bar tavern thing it is tough because they say well if if this restaurant that happened that has a bar and serves food can open, why can't I open? And, you know, most bars, maybe they're more in inside establishments as opposed to big patios or whatever. You know, I don't know. Do you, do you allow someone who's got a patio to open or it's tough? I mean, when, you know, I understand some of the thought process and yet, if you're that business owner, you're, you're just kind of SOL right now. So I, I think, your point is fair that, that we need more specifics around what people can expect. Um, I, would, I think everyone would have liked to have seen maybe some more, some more clarity last week so that they weren't caught off guard by the fact that some people were kind of looped into phase two and some yeah, were looped out. They just That's a polite way to say it, dude. <laughs> they, they just weren't. <laughs> it was brutal. Know, yeah, that was unacceptably brutal. The Restaurant Lodging Association, I think, and had been working with the governor's office, I think um, they expected that that would maybe include bars and I know you were fielding totals, the so. same
0: calls I was. I know you were. In fact, more, because that's the space that you sit in on a day-to-day basis. You were hearing the same things, which was Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, we're a bar, we're a restaurant. Do you think it's going to be 50% capacity? Do you think it's going to drop to 25? We've heard X. We've heard Y. And we're like, you know, here's what I'm hearing. I don't know. We have to wait. He comes out long anticipated, 24 to 48 hours heads up and says, I've decided restaurants that have bars can open, but bars without restaurants cannot. Like, what does that have to do with anything? The consistency there is just, and that's the thing, whether, maybe he had good data. Maybe there was something, they just don't explain anything. And bringing this back to the RNC conversation, that's exactly the problem. We need a well, and there's, little things, but we need the big things like the RNC and 19 other major conventions between now and the end of September. To, they need to know, because they're bringing a much needed lifeline to our hospitality and tourism industry folks that have been impacted brutally. And they need to know, not an approach of, here's a heads up and, and oh, submit your plan to us and we'll review it and we'll know if it's good if we see it. That's right now the negotiation line between governor cooper and the rnc via a side tweet from president trump that's getting all of the communication that's not how government should work
1: well there's there's room for improvement on all sides of this because you brought up the thing about selling uh, alcohol for people to take home that was something that had bipartisan support in the north Carolina house and senate and yet because reverend creech who is maybe the most anti-alcohol advocate in the state of north carolina and i respect the fact that those are his personal beliefs but he should keep them personal. Uh, this was an opportunity offered by Republicans and Democrats in our state legislature to help these businesses, and what he did was go in and I guess pull strings with literally maybe two or three senators, and, and this thing never sees the light of day. So you know, there's a lot of places where people from both parties are trying to help small businesses, uh, and and it's just not panning out. So I think we, we've all got more. We we've all got room to grow in this regard. And and again, you know, I think everybody should be granted some grace because so much of this is just we're learning every day that this is not something we expected. It's not something that we even understood at first. And and frankly, it changes so fast that that we're just trying our best to adapt. I respect that. Um, but you know, I think the moral of the story here is we've got to be as we've got to give as much information as we can as soon as we can. we've got to be as creative as possible to try to help our small businesses because you know the health benefits of this you've already stated um you know any loss of life is too much and we've and we've lost a lot of life we're going to lose a lot of a lot of people's livelihoods as well and and already have in in some cases and it's that's only going to get worse too so we've got to do everything we can question
0: from kevin poirier uh, a local pretty much right-leaning centrist, good guy, we know him. Um, has Councilman Bakari also stated that it's not reasonable for Trump to get his guarantee a full capacity arena? hundred percent. I said that in the beginning. I, I'm assuming you joined a little late. hundred percent. That's what I started with. And I started with that because just like anything else we, is, that's unknowable three months from now, which is longer than we've been doing all of this, Uh, We can't do that. But again, Larkin, I'll pose this and and we'll close this out with this. Let me pose the final question back to you. Do you think it's unfair for small businesses, large businesses, for people hosting small events or large conventions, which we have 19 coming up in the next four months in Charlotte, do you think it's fair for them to have no visibility and transparency into what decisions are going to be made at the last minute that allow them to operate or not And we'll take a, we know it when we see it, submit us your plan like they just did to NASCAR, which by the way, NASCAR had it pretty easy because they had decided as an organization not to let fans in. So do you think that's fair or do you think it's unfair and maybe all the bashing going on with Trump's style and tactic of opening this line of conversation is actually somewhere underneath there is a a fair counterpoint.
1: I do think that there needs to be more clarity and I also think that everybody has to be more creative about how they do these things. And so NASCAR, I think has done an excellent job this weekend of, of hosting races at Charlotte motor speedway and making sure that there's health and safety protocols in place. And yet they've found a way, I assume that they wouldn't be doing it if they had not through sponsorships and advertising and whatever to generate a lot of revenue now, Is it the same as if they had fans in the stands, probably not, but with the captive audience they've got at home, I can only imagine that their ratings were through the roof and they could probably make more money off the advertising. Uh, You know, the, the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Brady and Manning golf thing the other day, one of the highest rated things that's ever been on cable television in the sports world. So I think that people are getting creative and I think that it would be a much more reasonable negotiating position for the Republicans to take a similar stance to what the Democrats have, which is they haven't ruled out going to Milwaukee for their convention. They've just said, we're creating a system whereby delegates if they if they aren't comfortable or we ultimately say they can't come at all have to vote remotely then we have to do so we've already decided our state convention as a party is going to be online so i think you know a lot of these things have to start figuring out you and i had to figure out how we're we going to do our podcast when we can't be at the government center everybody's got to get creative we've got to get creative to help but people have to get creative to to make sure that what they're doing can be done in the in the current confines of of what we have to practice
0: health-wise. But there's two two approaches, and I got to completely agree with you there, but there's two approaches. There's coming to the table in good faith and trying to do that and trying to balance economic recovery with health and safety. But then there's others that want to use any excuse they can to implode something they never wanted to begin with or they were only lukewarm on. And our small businesses, our hospitality and tourism industry does not deserve that. And it's happening.
1: There there, undoubtedly are people at a local level who would like any excuse for this convention to not happen, even if it was just five people here running a completely virtual convention. Governor Cooper at no point has has given any indication that he is against the RNC being here. And I, so I, I think, to be fair to him, he was not someone who was anti-RNC when this decision was made two months ago. Certainly, we we know plenty of folks who were. Um, and so you take the things they're saying now with a grain of salt.
0: I don't, I don't listen. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll concede that point to you. I don't have, I don't know it for sure, but I don't have anything that leads me to believe that Cooper has it out for, for making this fail. But my, my point is much simpler than that. And it's the same thing that over 10,000 small businesses with 25 or less employees in Charlotte have been screaming for, for two months, which is the process how does this work, explain it, put some transparency and consistency around it because it just feels like someone's randomly making rulings at the last minute. And that applies to a hundred plus million dollar convention all the way down to a three person bakery who needs to figure out if they can allow customers back in.
1: To transition that
0: to um, we'll start with
1: small business. Did Larkin
0: what? sew his jacket on CNN into a shirt?
1: I don't even understand that joke. Looks a either. lot
0: like your jacket from CNN. Everyone saw you on CNN. Guess the answer is no that. This this shirt? Yeah. Yeah, with the red undershirt, man.
1: Um Well, I was just wearing a t-shirt and I thought I'd, I thought it looked nice for our viewers since no we're live Deep
0: into that one. We can continue.
1: Well, that's what happens when you when you read TJ's comments in real time. Um So roll roll in our discussions there to what we've been doing with the COVID recovery task forces we've got three of them we've got housing airport and small business you're on small business I'm on the other two you've been talking about small business so we'll start there that was the one thing we we did manage to put a bow, well not a bow on necessarily but we managed to pass uh, some of the recommendations from that last was that last night during a <laughs> six hour council meeting how um, is all that that was like one of the worst council meetings we've ever been. part I of.
0: totally agree. And it was totally avoidable.
1: I thought it was going to be a two hour meeting. And it was
0: six. It was totally avoidable. I don't know how much I'm going to say out well, loud. Talk about the
1: small business task force and what but we you passed last you night. Know,
0: got it. Check. I won't, I won't give my opinion as to why it was avoidable. Small business task force, which also really includes workforce in it. Um, We've spent over the last, over a month, how long have we been doing task force for? Five weeks, six weeks. Five, six weeks. We had four council members, Mayor Pro Tem, Julie Isolt, James Smudgy Mitchell, chairman of the ED committee, and uh, Dimple Ajmera. And uh, we had seven community leaders that we chose to represent um, a wide variety of folks. I won't name them all, but we had folks like Sarah Balcom, um, co-owner and founder of Girl Tribe small, very exactly the kind of retail pop-up shop uh, business we're looking at. We had uh, Vinay Patel, uh, hoteliers uh, in that world. We had Dave Matthews, a CIO Bank of America, Malcolm Coley, the partner managing partner over at EY. Um, we had uh, Chad um, Turner over with the LGBTQ Chamber, but also really representing and leading this coalition of chambers and groups that really came together over these last two months and just blew everyone's doors off, just kinda saying, screw everyone that's gonna talk about this, we're just gonna execute. So um, it was the right group. I I think there have been critiques about who was in what uh, task force and this and that. This was the right group for this task force. And we spent a lot of time, a lot of coordination, uh, to be honest, inside a task force structure of these three task forces that was flawed to begin with. The whole thing was flawed, it was set up, To be more of a conversation piece and had no, there was, there was, we were basically figuring out how to land a plane and no runway had been designed into this thing. Uh, That's a great analogy. Here goes one of (laughs) your analogies. Bingo. And so we spent all that time, we essentially created two pillars or buckets of programs programs that surround small businesses and workforce surviving. That's like the immediate, like reopen the door, the immediate term. Like how can you just survive? How can you make your way through for a little bit longer for that next life raft? And that next life raft fell in the second bucket, which is Thrive. And both of those programs had things like um, grant mechanisms in there, um, partner grant uh, um, vehicles, um, workforce uh, retraining and workforce uh, development components and small business retooling programs. So I won't go into all the details, but essentially we had $50 million set aside from the 154 give or take million that the cares act federal money gave to the city of Charlotte. 50 went to the small business and workforce task force. And we decided to split that up into two rounds. Round one was $35 million that we needed to deploy on things that had to start now. Most of that went into a $30 million small business access to capital, micro relief fund of up to 10 grand for companies with zero to five employees, and up to 25 grand for small businesses uh, between six and twenty-five employees. And we tried to do our best to minimize the requirements and red tape and bureaucracy that would slow down getting the money in those folks' hands, while enhance and make more efficient our ability to make sure we handed this very small amount of money. When you think there's over 10,000 businesses that fit those criteria in Charlotte alone, um, because it's going to feel like winning the lottery to a lot of them that end up getting it. So we tried to really focus on those criteria. We also focused on open for business and kind of this command center concept grants to our small business partners that are out there. And then we started intensive career cohorts that was enabling us to, activate the private sector to focus on workforce, as well as um, the ability to design an acceleration uh, idea that um, I'm particularly proud of, which is going to incorporate for the first time ever, essentially an accelerator designed for small businesses to retool themselves, so they can pivot in order to not have to worry about, well, how do I get this technology like you, you know, when you ping me, and you're like, I'd like to, do X or Y that has to do with a computer. And I'm like, all right, let me, so like small businesses don't need to be doing all the 50 questions that you ask when you go through that stuff. What's that? What's that cool new trick you were showing
1: me about copy and paste?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So right. Click a left click, you know, a control V. So that's, that's it. It approved. And honestly um, in the S show of a meeting we had last night, That was the one thing, despite all the screaming matches that I had with my colleagues and they had with each other and the challenges with staff and all the other things, that thing was smooth as a baby's butt. And it's because of the commitment and all the pre-arguing and transparency that we had, despite a flawed setup of these task forces and other forces fighting against us. And I am so proud to call those council members and uh, those citizens, my colleagues in that task force that got that done.
1: So that was the one that did pass without any sort of um, fireworks. The others uh, th- that I serve on, and since they're not completely advanced from, through council yet, we'll, we'll probably talk about them more later. I won't go into as much detail. Airport, um, that was led by Council Member Driggs. So we we basically agreed on most of the measures that are, were recommended out of that. There's everything from utilizing federal CARES acts to meet some of the financial obligations of the airport. Obviously, revenue shortfalls are incredible at the airport, maybe as much so as anywhere, um, to granting airport tenant employees access to no-cost transit passes to... Um, us taking on some of the cost of some of the repairs and improvements that might otherwise be the the burden of the tenants, uh, but we're able to use the Federal Cares Act funding there to cover those expenses. So there's a lot of things here, public information campaign to help let fe- folks know how much effort is being put into making sure that the airport is safe and clean and sanitized um, so that we can increase cost- consumer confidence, traveler confidence. One of the main, the the only sticking point here was the rent relief that's being offered or that tentatively being offered to some of the vendors in the airport. So, some of the restaurants, some of the retail outlets that folks will see as they walk through Charlotte Douglas Airport. Um, they are contractually given some rent relief if they're for certain criteria meant in, in terms of a lower passenger. Numbers and things like that, this would be over and above that. There had been a lot of concern coming from people who are particularly employees of two of the larger food vendors in the airport. Um, and these are not like the the names of the restaurants you see as you walk in somewhere in the airport, but but the more overarching food service companies that manage those. Those employees who've been many of whom have been furloughed are going to be losing their health insurance um at the end of this month and so the idea had been floated that while all the contract negotiations are national they're handled um, with the unions and those companies at a national level these are not local negotiations and the city is not supposed to be weighing in on those negotiations there is a debate going right now that we need more clarity from our city attorney's office on as to whether if the city is offering something that's over and above what we're obligated to offer, are we allowed to tie that money to that employer extending the healthcare coverage of that employee?
0: Quick clarification, because um, I honestly, I should know this, but I, we've all been focusing in our own lanes. And did the, did the tenants like HMS or whoever else, did they request this bailout or was this crafted as a let's do the right thing and give it to them? And then they were like, Oh yeah, sure. We'll take it. Do you know?
1: Well, again, part of the rent relief, they are due per the terms of their contract. Part of it is, you know, and frankly it's not, it's not entirely selfless on our part, but I think it is us trying to extend a hand out to people who've been partners for the airport for a long time. And I think part of it is a calculation that if some of this is not done and some of those tenants close up shop, that is a detriment to our airport. So again, it's not entirely selfless because we don't want those those restaurants and those retail outlets in the airport closing.
0: Um, I just feel like it's a big difference if someone comes to us and says, please, we need money to be bailed out. And they have a track record. I'm not saying- for good or bad, just a track record of being on our radar for their employees complaining to us about practices and 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 conditions and things like that. I just feel like there's a difference of someone requesting it. It reminds me of like the financial crisis and TARP, where they're like everyone's taking it, and they're like I don't really want to take it, and they're like well there's strings attached too, and you're like well I double don't want to take it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I, I think we we need more clarity from our attorney's office than we were able to get in the. In midstream in that meeting last night um because i you know i think to a person on council certainly everybody wants the employees these are not city employees mind you but everybody wants employees whether there are employees or or third parties employees at the airport and everywhere to be treated fairly and, and particularly in the midst of a pandemic to have health insurance for themselves and their family whether the the city attorney determines that that's something that we can put our thumb on the scale to accomplish, I think is, is key.
0: Even if there is some loose angle, he finds my gut tells me, this is not a good idea. Like, it's like, so why not have that conversation with everybody in town? You know what I mean? Like anyone who has any connection point to government subsidy, that's a private business or even those that don't. And, I mean, I think it's just a further case. It's not being heartless. It's just a further case of this is a broke-ass system of which employers sit in the middle of individuals and their health care. And how we got to this point, I don't know. And I'm not going to weigh in on the national topic of it. I'm just going to say it's just yet another example of a problematic uh, design that's, that's been Frankensteined and cobbled
1: together over the last you know decade over decade. Well, I think we have something we agree on, not something we necessarily work on, but something we agree on. That, oh, that we it, agree. Now let's just fix it. <laughs> that people's health care should not be directly tied to their employment. I, I don't disagree at all. So,
0: but the bottom Good. line. So, is, so, so point everybody point. mark
1: that down on six seventeen p.m. May twenty seventh. Tark agreed he is in support Medicare for all who want it. No, nah, 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 nah. and minimum. Maybe Medicare for all, Does but at least he, for all who want, want it. In
0: this country, believe hey, I think it's a great idea that healthcare is attached to companies or it should be, I'm not saying it's Medicare. All right, we've gone down a slippery slope here. (laughs) All I'm saying is it feels broken to me. I want to go to work to work and make money and I want to use that money or whatever else in other fronts to then see an itemized bill of what my medical uh, interactions look like and pay for that and,
1: and there's a black box. Listen, let's just move on very quickly. It looks like Bernie Sanders has just logged on to the live stream here and That's wants me. to thank you for, his, gotten, for your support of his I've healthcare plan. I've
0: gotten I've gotten a little far. That's not anything that I mean right now. Continue, Larkin. <laughs> thank you.
1: Housing. Housing was led by Malcolm Graham, um, different set of confusion. <laughs> Representative Christy Clark's uh husband has just weighed in and said that you're his universal healthcare hero.
0: You get that gut feeling ever. You're like, I've made a huge <laughs> mistake. <laughs> this is the problem with the podcast with 99.5 episodes. All we do is sit around and talk and just like our gut reactions come out. And luckily imagine
1: you get that feeling more than I do
0: all the time. Cause I don't, like, I don't need, need to filter stuff. You know, I'm half altruistic and like the man of the people and half genius. So, Like when you have that combination, you can just let it flow, man. And people say I'm one of the humblest dudes in town too. Like a top five humble.
1: Super genius. It's sweaty over here, man. (laughs) Larkin's getting nervous now. He just drew a Republican primary challenge. It is hot. i let
0: Larkin know before my air condition started leaking up there and I had to uh, turn it off. So it is scorching
1: hot in here. Continue. All right. Housing task force. Malcolm Graham led it. Um, The key pieces coming out of this are going to be a mortgage assistance program, rental assistance program, supportive housing program. Again, all these task forces are are figuring out how to utilize the money that we've been authorized to spend on expenses that we've incurred because of the coronavirus crisis. We're helping with the recovery for people or for businesses uh, because of this crisis. The money has to be spent in 2020. Um, So these are the ways we're going with the housing.
0: All right, real quick. Housing your question. Because like most of these topics, so much is going on, you and I haven't had this is our opportunity to talk about it for the first time. I already um, know what you're going to ask. What exactly in the hell happened? And this I mean, this was the worst conversation of them all. And I've never seen you're on this committee. So I heard from Malcolm who chairs it presenting it. I heard from two others, Braxton and Renee who are both on it, who didn't have any idea what he was presenting, they said. And I didn't really hear from you. You're the fourth that rounds it out. So can you shine a little light? We have not had a chance to talk about this before this moment. What exactly happened?
1: I was not wading into the, the shark-infested waters of that conversation. Did you know what he was presenting? The so the answer, as is almost always the case, is somewhere in between the two points that were being made. And the and the answer is that we had talked about. These categories essentially, and said these are the types of programs that we want to implement. That was taken, and staff kind of fleshed it out and and created a lot of details underneath that, and said, okay, so here's what this mortgage assistance program is going to look like. Here's what this rental assistance program is going to look like. So essentially, they took top line ideas, put in lots of details. All that information was emailed to us yesterday afternoon. But you know, in fairness, we get lots of emails. Stuff gets buried you can't necessarily assume that everyone's going to have a chance to read something that's sent at 1 before a 5 p.m. meeting or if they need to somebody needs to call them or text them and flag that and be like hey make sure you check this out so you know i think the point braxton and renee were making was wait a minute we didn't realize we did that, that much progress had been made off of work we'd been doing and i think there was to be fair again to all three task forces there was some confusion going into last night's meeting as to whether or not we were going to be voting on these recommendations yet or not. So I think there was confusion on all those points. What, we, what Malcolm presented from the housing thing was not completely out of left field. So in his defense, it mirrored what we've been talking about and what we've been doing. In my frustration, I actually voted against deferring this, uh, although it did get six votes to be deferred. And so the housing task force will meet again Thursday. We'll talk about it again bring it back to council next week. My frustration was that while I agree that everyone needs to have the time to, to digest this and really dig into it, action and, and timeliness is key here. I mean, there are people whose rent and mortgages due next week. So the, the longer we take to, to chew on these things, the longer they take to implement, and the longer they take to help. And So I wanted to see action. I, I frankly, I will call it right now we will talk about this again on Thursday in the task force. It will come back to council next Monday in exactly the same form you saw it last night. There will not be a single change made and we'll have wasted a week that we could have been acting. But
0: here's the problem, right? And I a hundred percent agree. Cause we've been operating on fire with the same sense of urgency. Like they don't need a program to be designed for the next eight months and then roll it out. They need it now. However, the, here's where this got all screwed up. I already mentioned that the, the task forces were designed improperly and adequately to begin with, not setting them up for success. We figured this out in our task force and were united as a group after a lot of pain and turmoil, we got there. So I think we were in in a bit of a different spot than all the other, other task forces that we were united. We worked hard and we were talking to the manager. We were talking to everyone. On Wednesday, we were scrambling to provide additional justification to make sure we were all lined up because we knew this was going to be voted on Tuesday, the next Tuesday. And we were trying to get it in the materials. If we're going to vote for $35 million, some people need a heads up and it should be in the public record leading into that. And all of a sudden, everything's good. Staff hands it off to budget something lo and behold secretly happens between Thursday and Friday that I don't notice going into the weekend, the holiday weekend until Tuesday morning when I open up the agenda and I'm like, Holy shit, the stuff isn't in here. Excuse my language Larkin. So, I mean, I lose my mind. Luckily my committee members and I are on the same page. So we did what no one else could really do at that point because they weren't lined up like that. And we split all you guys up. And we said, I'll take these two, you take those two. And we went to you guys and said, here's the detail in the document. Let us know if you have questions, you want to talk through it. So we knew they were there. My big question is this, why is there so much pushback and pressure on these committees? If all this stuff is so urgent, not to to have a smooth runway once we get lined up together and bring it to a conclusion.
1: There are some forces that are working against us. Well, but also if you rely on everybody to be lined up smoothly, then sometimes that can be its own impediment. And that was evident was last night.
0: And a gap in between where a task force was supposed to end and the whole council was supposed to vote. And it was in there by design, it feels like. Well I
1: don't know. I mean, all I know is like the airport task force basically I mean not dissolved necessarily, but our last meeting was last week. So it was those recommendations had been voted out of. And and so there again, part of it is they weren't all operating under the same sort of process or uh, playbook and that created some of the confusion but again i think you have to give some grace because they were created quickly they were you know I mean, we are we're reacting to something that is hard to react to and so the airport task force oh, voted here, I got as a task force the airport crazy. voted out the recommendations the housing one we kind of talked about them but we didn't vote them out in any formal manner so I, I don't know. It just. I think my is,
0: argument is whether it was knowingly done so or just happened as uh, a, 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 an oversight. Either way of which is
1: unacceptable. I mean, I think when you move quickly, you're bound to you're you're bound to trip some when you when you're running. And I think I think it was just a matter of of everybody trying to move quickly. It's hard to be on the same page.
0: I feel like this was designed to be an exercise to separate, divide and conquer, arm's length, a bunch of different people out, and then let everything happen other than all that stuff behind the scenes. That's my gut feeling. And I, I mean, I just gotta say it that bluntly because right now the stakes are too high. Rent's due sure. to the point. Small businesses are dying every day. We can't play political games with this. And I feel like that's what's happening.
1: You're also more prone to conspiracy theories than I am, but. Um,
0: Uh, you want to run through a few of those real quick, man? I've got a couple doozies.
1: Yeah. If they have to do with ping pong pizza parlors, I'm out. Um, all right. So we're already at the 50 minute mark. Let's hit these last ones. We had a rezoning meeting, uh, I guess nine days ago. Now the two big takeaways there, we had hearings for the Eastland site. I actually thought that went pretty smooth. Um, I think that's going to be good. We're, I expect that to pass pretty easily. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening at Eastland. Atrium, uh, the formerly known as CMC main campus down there off Kings Drive. Not yourself, another busy, do you? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a big big hairy
0: one. Oh, I hate these. I hate these so much. They're so brutal.
1: Yeah, I mean it. You know, it is obviously Atrium is uh, is a huge part of our community in terms of being an employer. If partnered with Wake Forest, you're going to be bringing a medical school to Charlotte, which is something that that many folks, myself included, have wanted for a long time. Uh, or a full four-year medical program is something that we've not had. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. And and frankly, I think that this pandemic has demonstrated that we need to have modern health facility, healthcare facilities that can accommodate the need. And right now, uh, the need exceeds the capacity. They've, they're dealing with... Um, hospital buildings that are decades and decades old. Um, but as is always the case, when somebody wants to build something bigger and taller um, and, and grow it out from its center, um, as that gets near neighborhoods, people get antsy. And so there have been concerns around, particularly around height, um, around helicopter flight patterns. I mean, there's so many moving pieces with this one. Um, the Delworth Community Association has, has taken the lead on trying to gather all those concerns. This is also like a 70 acre site. So there's people on one side of the site that have one set of concerns that are entirely different than people on the other side of the site because maybe the helicopter pad's moving closer to one street, which means it's moving further away from the other street. So it's like you can't you can't satisfy both of those concerns. Yeah. Um It's tricky. I think we'll get there. You think
0: that uh, you think you can shepherd these uh, two sides of the argument or five sides, whatever it is, uh, through concessions to a mutual ask of the city council
1: next month? Well, I think the Dilworth community association and their land use committee has done a good job of, they've gotten a ton of concessions from the airport. I mean the airport, the hospital already. (laughs) And so they've, they've made a ton of progress. This is, this is, Definitely going to come to us for a vote with people still angry. There's no doubt about it. Um, some of the some of the asks and some of the concerns are are non starters for the hospital, but they've been working with the neighborhood association. The neighborhood association has gotten a lot of the things that they think are most important and most realistic. Um, there will be people mad after this, whichever way it goes and whatever changes are made, um, and and that's just going to be what it is. But um, those conversations are still ongoing. I think more progress will be made. Hopefully everyone will feel like they got heard and that their concerns got addressed, even if not completely. Um, and finally, and this is just something that, uh, was five hours ago. We are just one, I guess one vote away from officially finalizing our budget for the coming year. We had our straw votes today. Do we, Man. Well, we had straw votes on the changes today. We didn't, I guess we didn't have a straw vote on the, the whole budget, but more I felt or less.
0: Like we ended with like concluding it. And it, and it felt like a, it was like, congratulations, it's unanimous. I was
1: like, did we just finish the budget? That's the budget. <laughs> um, so I, I guess we haven't talked about, it, but I mean, you know, you and I, and maybe we talked about the fears we had a month ago about what this budget could be because obviously revenue is, is just falling off a cliff um i'm still petrified i'm still absolutely well and i don't think we're out of the woods but big top line headline here is there's not going to be a tax increase and i think that that's something that we all were thankful for because the economic hardships that people are feeling right now to add insult insult to injury injury and insult whatever on with a tax increase i think right now would have just been untenable no tax increase Um, we've had to do a hiring freeze and and have eliminated some vacant positions at the city, uh, but we have not had to fire anyone who is currently working for the city. That was good too, because I think that was something you and I both feared might happen. Again, not totally out of the woods, but this budget maintains all the people currently working for us, um, though it does leave some positions empty and it eliminates others. Uh, So, I mean, I I felt, and it also doesn't currently – jeopardize any of the promises we've made in terms of capital investments and projects um, it, it certainly might limit what we're able to do going forward with new ideas but it uh, it does not mean we have to go back on anything that we had pledged to do and so you know kudos to the budget staff and the manager's office um, if you'd have given me those high points and said do you think he can pull this off in these circumstances I'd have said there's no way
0: it's a lot of good work. Uh, There's nothing to be taken away from that side of it, but I will say, um, it just shows you how much flab is in government that that can be achieved. And everyone who knows budgets is scratching their head. Like, wait a minute, like you're anticipating massive decreases in almost all of your fund sources, revenue sources and you're able to do that without a tax increase, without any layoffs, all those things. I mean, it's a, it's a great job, but I think I, it just, it, it underscores my broader point I've been saying, which is there's a lot of uh, excess capacity in government.
1: Well, but also I think what it means is our staff is going to be overworked for the next year. I mean, I, I genuinely believe that they're, or people who are just going to have to take on a second role essentially because that seat in the office is going to be empty and they're not going to put somebody in it. My so I think that,
0: most of those people are already and have already been overworked because they're overachievers and they drive the vast majority of stuff. I mean, it's- We'll, we'll it's find out. Of government, dude.
1: Uh, the other thing that is, I know, very important for, for both of us and plenty of our colleagues is we're continuing to make a lot of progress on what we pay our first responders and oh, yes. making sure that we are continuing to be more competitive with our peer cities in terms of uh, retract, uh, re- uh, attracting and retaining the the best people that we can to be the ones that answer in your time of need, police officers, firefighters in particular. Um, so a lot is being done there. I certainly would had concerns that that we were gonna lose some of the ground we've made. And and that's already paying dividends. I mean, for people who think that we're just throwing money at the problem with all the the police vacancies, we have had better recruitment. We've had better retention. and, And frankly, when you've got more people applying, you can get better people. You can be more selective. And then when you retain those good people, you don't have to rehire and retrain a new person. So, I mean, this is literally already making a dent. Just the work we've done in the last two years is already making a dent, particularly where where the need was the greatest, which is with our police force.
0: I love it, man. I mean, I'm just so grateful to be done with it at this point. It was so, so brutal. Budgets, you and I have now been through, we're on the tail end of this one, three Great. budget seasons. And each of them are brutal in their own rights. I mean, it's, it's literally like we take- This was, this more, this
1: was more clear cut because there was less to play with.
0: Yeah, but in one way, it was more clear cut. In another way, though, we were scrambling with this CARES Act stuff and these other things. Honestly, that distracted us from a lot of the depth we normally go into in the budget because we had another $154 million to figure out how to deploy. In fact, if I was a city manager and surrounded by 11 freaking bosses, I might give them that fake task with the cliff that runs over and doesn't connect to anything in the end too, right? So- uh, no conspiracies for me today, but um, it's a great it's a great job, uh, and um, we capped it all off today with a rounding
1: error.
0: The rounding <laughs> error. I was I wasn't gonna let you libs spend that money without me. Um, but um,
1: so I, I made a I made an admittedly. Uh, oh, you're annoying! You're so annoying. For last me. second grab. We were about to close the meeting down last week last week and uh and i found i found a a way without having to cut from anything else to get funding for the historic landmarks commission revolving fund to invest in the preservation of properties in our community Uh, it's something i've been wanting to do for a while i didn't expect to be able to do it this year but found a way and then to to make sure that we had enough people on board with this idea uh, our colleague Braxton Winston had brought up something that's also very important to, to both um, you and me, which is bridging the digital divide, making sure that people in our community have access to the internet, access to the the hardware and the software and the connectivity that they need to be successful right now. Um, and it, and it, you know everything we talk about, we talk about creating opportunities uh, for folks connecting them to jobs that can help them sustain themselves and help make sure that their children are better off than they were and all that. And the internet is a, is a cornerstone of all of that. And so you went and worked with Braxton and got some other partners and got some, some, and I said, I I would cut a piece of my money that I had identified for the landmarks commission out. So you guys are going to run a pilot program. You can tell a little bit about the details are still being worked out, but it's money is going to be set aside to run a pilot program in a specific community. It can demonstrate what a little bit of money can do for one community in need in terms of internet connectivity um, and bridging the digital divide. And then we'll also have money that will go to the historic landmarks commission. And it was unanimous, which I'd have bet you a thousand dollars this morning. We weren't going to get everybody on board with this idea that we'd concocted over the course of a couple of days.
0: I'm telling you that was astounding, but it shows the power of that work. It took your idea, which was, out of all the crappy ideas, a good crappy one. And um, split that in half, 35K to your side, the other 35K to this kind of, if I described it as starting by providing internet in that pilot, uh, you know, Wi-Fi access to bridge that digital divide, and then having a first-of-its-kind digital divide lab. Imagine a gateway that starts with eSports and then leads those folks in um, with resources for programming and digital literacy, STEM education, workforce development. Potentially
1: and, at one of the coolest places in town, Optimus Hall.
0: And more importantly than connecting over there um, to that uh, Delahay Courts um, neighborhood and everything. Got quick partnership commitments and people that are already doing so much in this space with E2D and Bruce Clark and Livian. Talked to our boy Ray Ray. Uh, the old ex preacher, uh, my brother's keeper, Braxton made that happen. We've got other groups we're talking to. Uh, we want to engage the, uh, uh, the Charlotte Hornets who have had already a lot of conversations with Bruce on digital literacy. We feel like this is a no brainer for them. Um, we can pull in the Charlotte eSports community to program out that, that stuff. So this can be really cool. And it's just a seed. We started with the premise of, all right, 35 grand one-time money isn't going to do anything so how could we creatively create that as the seed that could grow a garden and help create really an example that hey this is how you bridge the digital divide in one neighborhood in multiple neighborhoods rural urban all these different conversations so because if we so. can
1: if this actually demonstrates results it's the type of thing where we don't have to fix it for the the whole city or the whole county or the whole state if we can come up with ways to move the needle for one community, the private sector and all these other entities will go, oh wow! If we take that playbook, we can replicate that elsewhere. So, so part of it is not, yeah, you, thirty-five thousand dollars. we been trying to spread it across the city on working on the digital divide. Wouldn't have we? Might as well just thrown it out of a helicopter. Yeah. But doing it in one neighborhood, thirty-five thousand dollars make a big difference. And so, if we can Stopping show that a difference,
0: helicopter in one neighborhood.
1: The helicopter part would be fun, but I don't know if that would be as effective as actually deploying it the way I you know just. I
0: a landing pad that we can use.
1: Uh. <laughs> too soon, too soon, and that neighborhood doesn't need the money thrown out <laughs> for top of it. Um. Anyway, Kevin Poirier says we should bring CMS into that conversation. Good idea. Uh, so a lot has happened in a month. Oh man, episode 100 is going to be a doozy. Oh man, it is so. Should we? I don't want to tell people dumb. who's coming on yet. Don't say anything. But let's just say we have some heavy hitters nope. from the, the history of North Carolina politics. Come on, bro. That's, that's pretty vague. Yeah. We're bringing on some heavy hitters. Some names you know. Their initials
0: might start with a P.M. No, we're not bringing on Pat McCrory. I'm just kidding, man. I, I didn't even know what I was talking about.
1: You just accidentally picked Pat McCrory's initials? I, I don't know. I guess you're thinking about him a lot. That's weird. It's not Pat McCrory. It's other people. And we look forward to being with you then. In the meantime, make sure you're sharing and liking spreading the word about R and D and the QC. Just real quick. Your dad just texted me. <laughs> well, he's not on Facebook. So that's ironic. Uh, exactly. It's, this is well, strange. He might be with my mom and she's very Facebook uh, savvy.
0: Wait a second. This might not be your dad. <laughs> it says maybe Robert Eggleston. I don't know. All I'm going to say it says maybe Robert Eggleston. It says, who is this Ray Ray? You don't know it, but my lifelong nickname is Rara.
1: That is my dad. Is and he- Ray Ray is <laughs> Ray McKinnon.
0: <laughs> Mr. Eggleston, I got to say you and I don't get to interact that much, but every time we do, it's always fantastic. It's always fantastic. You're the son he never wanted. Oh, I bet you, Mr. Robert Eggleston looks over at me and says, oh, what could have been,
1: what could have been. That's not what he says, as a matter of fact. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, We appreciate everybody for joining us, as always. Help spread the word. Stay safe. And uh, keep an eye out for episode 100. It's coming. Peace out.